Welcome to the Fibery Goodness Tiny Studio Magazine podcast, Tiny Talks, with your hosts Arlene Thayer, yoga teacher, spinner, knitter extraordinaire, and all-round wise person, and myself, Susie Brown, aka Woolwench, passionate fibre artist and owner-publisher of indie magazine, Tiny Studio Creative Life. Join us as we chat about all the behind the scenes at the magazine, creative projects we're working on, life and fibre hacks, and just like in our magazine content, ways to boost your creativity and maximise your moments of fibre art inspiration. Hi everybody, it's Arlene Thayer, I'm here with Susie Brown. This is our first Fibery Goodness Tiny Studio Podcast. Uh, we say wanting... we're, also, we're also being joined here by our dog, Bean. Yes, because <laughs> nothing in, in this world now is complete without significant background no- noise. Her timing is just fantastic. <laughs> and uh, we've wanted to deliver this type of content for you for a while. We know that... Um, well, we as uh, craftspeople, artisans, we love to have content to listen to when we're making things. And there's content about uh, what goes on behind the scenes with Tiny Studio and with Susie as an artist uh, that we felt um, would make a nice addition to the magazine. And Susie has said that this could even turn into Tiny Studio bloopers. So you could even get a little chuckle over the things that she worked so hard to minimize as many mistakes oh. and errors as possible. Ooh, and yet ooh, they get away from it. I mean, it, it's kind to call them bloopers. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's definitely things that, that go on behind the scenes that, um, yeah. Uh, after the fact, when everything's, you know, better now or it's not too soon, <laughs> then it's actually kind of funny. So I'll, I'll have some stories to talk about there. Well, I, sure. I've worked with you for a long time in many, many <laughs> capacities and projects. And all I know is the final product is always worth the wait. And is and, and you'd never know that there was difficulty going on <laughs> behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's not, not so much difficulties, just, you know, dealing with my own um, uh, attention issues and that kind of thing um, can sometimes lead to little problems but you know uh, there's a team of us too there's um Ebenita who's always there with you know backup support and um organizational support uh which has helped tremendously so you know where I drop the ball she picks it up so I have to uh, give her all credit for that too so it's not not just me luckily (laughs) with, with those little errors but I think it's going to be really fun to, you know, just to add this kind of um, additional content to what we've already got with the magazine and with the videos, the fortnightly videos that go with that for subscribers. And this also is something that, you know, that we can share more widely outside of um, the magazine subscription. So um, just as a way of expanding our contact with community as well, which uh, has always been really important for Fibre Goodness right from the very beginning, which is way back so many years now. I, I did actually add it up. I think we started in 2013, didn't we, with um, Golden Fleece? Yes, yes, yeah. it was then. It was then. Yeah, so it's been a while. And isn't it funny that this is the first time we've started with a podcast in all this time? I know. No, well, we got there eventually. We've been talking about Finally. this for a while. 
I kind of like it because, you know, when we do live streams and videos, you know, I'm always worried about my hair and, you know, my backgrounds. And and now, I mean, I could be sitting here in my pajamas. <laughs> and in fact, she is, by the way, everybody. I might be. Because <laughs> I can see um, her. So, you know, that's, it also, you know, I sort of feel more relaxed about this as well because I'm not worried about, you know, how I'm looking and presenting and lighting and, and all those other sort of technical things. So mm -hmm. I think this is going to be a nice chance to just relax and, and have chats. So you just got issue nine out. Yeah. And now you're it's in that. Packed. Yeah, I know it's packed. <laughs> yeah. Every time I get it, I kind of race to the end to see how mm. many pages this is. And I go, damn, that's a lot of pages, Susie. Yeah, yeah. And see, this is how unorganized I am. I don't actually know how many pages they're going to be in it until it's all the layouts done. If I was super organized, and I'm sure other magazine producers do this, they like allocate page numbers to articles and they know how many pages they're going to have. And I'm, perhaps when we go to print, I'm, I'm going to need to do that. I've got a lot of freedom with digital. Um, mm -hmm. So I do the same as you, Ali, and I rush to the end of the magazine <laughs> to see how many pages are in it. <laughs> oh, the other thing that – the second thing I do is – I so just to backtrack for everybody. So I generally write an article for the issue, and mm. Susie – picks out the pictures. So I never know what the pictures are going to be. I never you. see them in advance or anything. So <laughs> the second thing I, I could go do, to do I is, could do that. See, if I was more organized, I'd be sending you pictures in advance. Yeah, it and say, hey, good. What do you it's think a of nice this surprise. <laughs> I trust you. We trust so. each other. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's the second thing I do is I have to go see what pictures you picked out. <laughs> I particularly like this one because it has uh, some of your sewing in there creative project yes it, it does have some of my crazy sewing in there mm. so mm -hmm. we wanted to talk about today our theme is actually about experimentation and discovery yeah um so just i'll throw a few thoughts out there and one is um that as i find that as it comes to experimentation and discovery that less is more in other words, I find that when I have too many choices, um, it, it works poorly for me creatively. I do better can, when I just have yeah. less choices. Quickly get overwhelmed by choices, I think, is the problem. Yeah. It's like, you know, I have all these colors. Which color am I getting? But I love all of them. So <laughs> that, that's often a sticking point for me, too. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to me a little bit, um, you know, New Zealand Kiwi culture uh, tends to be what we call the sort of number eight wire um, attitude towards things. Whereas, you know, as as farmers, you do a lot of stuff with number eight wire. It's your fencing wire. So for a start, you're fencing with it. But you can use it for so many other things. You can fix your machinery with it. You can tie things up with it. You can, you know, use pieces of it as nails. It's just really, um, but it's all to do with making do with what you've got. And I think that's something that, that a lot of us have really um, come back to uh, this over this last year, 2020, um, and just looking at what we have on hand and how we can make the most um, and best use out of just what we've got. I think it's um, – and it's something we we did – didn't we use one of uh, the modules for um, Golden Fleece? Yes. It, with that in mind, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. specifically. So this is not a new concept for us to explore, um, but it's certainly one that I've returned to this year with my own creativity. 
Yes. So we have a we have actually a history of that going back to the mm. spin artiste days with the can you spin this challenges, different bobbin challenges, yeah, uh, and always you know sort of confining ourselves with a limited set of choices and seeing what comes out of that. So, you know, if you're just, um, if you're not in a contest and you're not taking a course, how do you bring this into your life, like in a conscious way? Yes. Well, I kind of feel like, you know, when you have limited uh, choices, that's often when you become the most creative because you actually are pushed outside of the comfort zone of having everything you need on hand or easily accessible by popping out to the shop or, you know, even just having something reliably arrive in the post. We took that for granted for so long. Um, so I, I kind of feel like when you give yourself some limitations and it could be like, I'm going to use only from my stash. I'm not going to buy anything new for the next three months. I'm just going to use what's in my stash. Then you're kind of forced to look at that stash in a slightly different way. You've got to maybe think of new ways to combine things from it. Perhaps you've got, you know, quite a lot of silk hanky. How can you make use of silk hanky other than the, you know, spin it and, and, and as a fine yarn? What else can you do with it? So it kind of pushes you into looking for alternative things you can do with what you've got. Mm-hmm. So one of my um, annual um, rituals, for really it's a wintertime thing that I do, is I, and I start doing it now, I've already started doing it, <clears throat> I go into what I have, <clears throat> and I find things that, well, they sure seem like a good idea at the time. <laughs> and, you know, they made all the sense in the world five years ago, whenever I bought them. And I pick out a few things. <clears throat> and I I make the decision, the conscious decision, that in the month of January, February, March, I'm going to use these things, like one at a time. Like I might right, pick so you like... give yourself a time period. Yeah, as well yeah. I might pick like really a weird cool. skein of yarn and say, okay, this is for January. I've got to come up with something for this for January. And so, I, I you know, I'm not, I've never been able to sustain that over a whole year. Uh, but it would be great if I could, but it's definitely been a wintertime thing. Uh, it, it has a, it has a real feel good component too, because it just seems like the new year, it's a good time to kind of clean things out, uh, move things down the road. If I'm not, you know, if I can't bear down on it and use it, why do I have it? Yeah, so, true. yeah, yeah, I've already yeah. started with that. I started looking around and eyeballing things and lining things up for that. Yeah. Yeah, and that, it does kind of give you that self-justification as well. Like, you know, it's actually okay that I bought all this stuff because I will use it <laughs> because that is, you know, potentially an issue. I have things in my stash that I'm like, yeah, perhaps I should do that. Of course, my winter is not the beginning of the year. It's mid-year for me. Um, and I think maybe that's something I might be looking at more for summertime anyway because I actually feel like in the summer I have more – leisure time and more creative time than in the winter i don't know why that is <laughs> it's it's there's probably no good reason for that other than i've never really explored it in my own head but um i, I like that idea and actually the idea of having 12 months mapped out 
Mm-hmm. Like if I could go through my my stash and, and particularly my yarns because I have a lot of yarns, I know I can always use up my fibre stash, no problem. But for me, the the bigger challenge is how I'm going to use the yarns because I'm not a great knitter, and there's only so many scarves that you need. <laughs> I really don't need to knit, you know, everything I have into a scarf. So that's the kind of project planning that I think I need to put my energy into is how to use the yarns. Because for me, it's easy to figure out how to use my stash of my fibre anyway, because, you know, I can always spin something without too much um, pre-planning even. But yeah, using up yarns. And of course, you know, there's weaving and I've got um, something on the loom at the moment that needs finishing and I'd like to get that finished. So usually after I get a magazine issue out, I have a couple of weeks I give myself a break because, you know, that last few weeks of the magazine is pretty hectic to say the least and it's often, you know, really, really long days getting the layout done and everything right. So I do need the downtime afterwards and so that's when I give myself a creative break. And to be honest, this time, um, maybe it's because we're close to Christmas and I feel like, you know, there's there's things coming up that I need to start start planning for. But after this issue, I, I've actually felt a little bit um, lost with what I want to create. Usually yeah. I have a whole stack of, you know, fiber that I want to spin or, you know, a project that I want to make. But this time I'm really looking around thinking I'm not actually sure what I'm meant to be doing right now. There's just this sort of gap there. And I've got a couple of little things I'm, I'm working on for the next um, Tiny Studio video. That always keeps me motivated in terms of finding good content for that. Mm-hmm. So I've got, but you know, the, this is where I make samples is when I'm recording something for a video to show how to do something. It's usually as a sample. Um, so yeah, I don't have any great plans right now for that creativity. So perhaps pre-planning, you know, the year ahead of projects with what I've got, that would be a good way to deal with that kind of, you know, I know I should be doing something creative, but I don't know what to do, mm-hmm. which does happen. I think hopefully not just to me. I think you know other people find the same thing um, with the creative. It's not a creative slump. It's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I know I've got all these things I really wanted to do and I was waiting to do them. And now I suddenly don't know what they were. So another I think a uh, component of what we all have, and some of us maybe have too many, like me, uh, are also, and they get neglected, are books. Oh, yeah. You know, so if you can't dip into what you have and pull out some yarns and dedicate to yourself to pushing those out into something, um, you know, look at some books that you haven't looked at in a long time. Like at one point, yeah. you were hot to trot for that book. You know, if you ever really, you know, sat down and read the introduction, you know, really yeah. dug into it and given it a really thorough understanding of what the person's trying to communicate to the world. Well, it's interesting you say that because I did just come up with a thing last night, like literally last night, um, which I'm now going to focus on as a creative activity. I have a book on, it's I think it's called Tiny Stitches, and it's just making little embroideries, and it appealed to me because it's small embroideries, so I don't have to sustain it over a period of time because, as I said, I have a couple of weeks. Um, and so I thought that was a doable project with a small amount of, you know, time requirement, plus I could actually spin the thread for it. 
So it gives me a spinning activity uh, and then a way to use the yarn that I make right there in one project. Mm-hmm. So, and that was from the book. And I, so I finally hit on that last night. I, that's what I'm going to do with my next week. Is that is also involves the silk hankies? Uh, actually, no, it doesn't. It doesn't, although it, it could. But no, I've got some, um, I've got some beautiful silk merino blend that I think will be ideal for the, for the embroidery thread. It spins up really fine mm-hmm. and the colors are really intense and it also has the, the, the grippiness of the merino. I kind of feel like my stitching skills are not fantastic. It's something I want to learn more about and, um, the silk might be a bit, pure silk might be a bit challenging yet, but that could be something to work towards. And I haven't, I've spun a little bit of thread for embroidery, but not a lot of it. So I thought there was a good challenge. So another aspect of this that I want to talk about is the, the way that you can um, leverage time on your side Mm -hmm. as it comes to experimenting and discovery. And there's, there's two ways that I use. They're on like opposite ends of the spectrum. And the one way is, the most logical thing is if you have so much on your plate that you never have time to just relax and create, it's really hard to have that time to have that bandwidth, that emotional bandwidth to relax and create. Yeah. And I think doing uh, creative activities are the things we put off as our reward for later when we've got all our jobs done and, you know, it very easily defaults into um, never getting the jobs finished. And then so obviously never getting the creative time as the reward because it's just all ongoing. That is the the problem that I faced anyway. Also, you know, when you've got family commitments and job commitments, it's just easy to put that creative time at the back of the list. But the other in the other end of the spectrum, the way I leverage time, which addresses what you just said, is I set time limits on myself. And I'll uh-huh. say, I usually either use 20 minutes or an hour. I'll, if I'm having a super difficult time, like getting the ball rolling on something, I'll say to myself, just 20 minutes. And I'll yeah. set a timer for 20 minutes. And that's it. End of story. Like at the, when that bell rings, I get up and I, I leave. But a lot yeah. of times, just those 20 minute chunks on a regular basis, I can accrue enough progress that I start to get some nice momentum mm-hmm. and the, the hour chunk when I use the hour chunk is usually when I have a little bit more of a deadline situation and, and again, I'm having trouble getting the ball rolling and I'll say just an hour, just an hour. And I typically find by the time 30 minutes has elapsed, I'm so deeply into it. The other 30 minutes goes really fast and really easy. Yeah. And it's, and it, both it, of those really help me. That would remove the, like, for, for me, it's like if I've decided that the creative time is going to be my reward for finishing jobs, um, if I just leave the job and do the creative stuff, I feel guilty about it. But if I have a time limit on it and say, well, I'm just doing yeah. this for 20 minutes, and that's actually not going to, uh, in, in reality, that's really not going to affect the job project, um, then that also reduces the guilt associated with um, spending. It's because it's me time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
really with the creative stuff. So, and, and that's why I sort of feel like, oh, when I had all these things I was supposed to be doing and now I'm just doing this for me, is that being selfish, you know? But in actual fact, that's what feeds everything else, isn't it? You've got to have some of that time in order to be really effective at the other things you do too. Exactly. Remember the good old days when it was just the Woolwinch Facebook page? <laughs> oh, life was so simple back then. <laughs> It's like looking back to the days of, you know, before the internet. They all seemed so simple then. It was like that with Woolwench. I had my Etsy shop and I had my my Facebook page and um and I could do what I wanted when I wanted. It was really I didn't appreciate it at the time. I felt like I need to make more yarn, I need to make more yarn. Um but really I could make all the choices so easily then. I was like, Oh, I've got this, I think I'll make that now or you know, I get an idea and on a whim I'll do something completely different. So the moral of that story is if you really enjoy your hobby, be very careful about monetizing it. (laughs) Keep it a hobby. (laughs) Right. Well, also now because it's you know, with the magazine, it's it's a different thing again. It's because um, now I actually have a, a whole bunch of other people that contributed to the magazine that I feel a huge responsibility for creating something that really does justice to their work. When it's just my work, it's like, you know, if I drop the ball on my own work, it's, it's only me that I'm responsible for in that. But with the magazine, you know, I, I really feel like there's a whole sort of – um, uh, community around that that I want to make it fantastic for mm-hmm. so that does put more pressure it's not just about it being um, you know monetized and it's become a job but it's also the responsibility I think with it that um, you know I, I put a lot more pressure on myself to do justice to their content um, that they've spent time and effort in making as good as they can make so um, and that's probably the biggest difference between now and the, and the just me and Will Wedge time when it was literally, you know, I only had myself to answer to. So, and you know, it, it, and I understand that because there's there's an even higher level to all of that, which is that all of this is preserving the history. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's 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 how people are making and what they're making and who is making and. Um, it is a historical document at the same time yeah. that it's uh, for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Well, on this issue, we've got um, a fantastic article from James Perry on dying with cochineal, and we have another one from Raminta from uh, Lithuania on dying with woad. And both of these, you know, really, I loved it that we got these into the same issue because these are really back to basics Um traditional dye methods with um, the materials that were around and available at the time. And it always intrigues me that no matter what period of history you look at, there were people doing amazing, complicated, scientific things with what they had on hand. Um, and so going back to that and, and bringing that forward into this sort of format, to the magazine, um you know, it sort of revitalizes it all. I really love that aspect of it. So, um, and that's where it's so valuable that other people have taken those things and kept them preserved. And I remember um, when we were doing the S3 spin sketch scribe um, course, which is based on inspiration from stories, 
that was one of the things that I was really taken with with that whole um, class was that at the end of it, you end up with a book that to me is like a, a record of all these stories and inspirations. And and I really think it's fantastic, the whole concept of, you know, in a 100 years' time, if someone picks up your dye sample book or your yarn sample book, and, you know, to them it would be like finding an absolute treasure. I know. Picking up this piece of history and look what the spinner was doing a hundred years ago, you know, isn't that exciting? So I kind of feel like when we make something like that, that it's, you know, imagine if someone found that in a hundred years time and how, how exciting that would be to them. It would be like us now making this discovery ourselves with, with, and it's a kind of thing like having these die articles in the magazine. It's like picking up that treasure that's, you know, from so long ago and rediscovering it. I think it's really, really cool to be able to do that. It, it is. I, I wouldn't call it leaving a legacy, but I would keep it, I would call it keeping things alive. Mm-hmm. So I've been taking this pattern drafting class. and <laughs> That sounds so complicated. It, it's a mind bender, but the reason I want to bring it up is because of the, the person who teaches it, his website's called The Modern Maker. And <clears throat> he was just in the, most unique position to teach this content. He, for 25 years, he's been using the Spanish tailoring manuals from the 17th century. Wow. And those manuals were created because the government was dictating to the tailors exactly how much cloth they could use and charge the customer for because the cloth was so expensive. Mm-hmm. So a man's... um coat, for example, they will show you the coat layout, all the pieces like a cutting, sewing garment cutting layout. And this is exactly the amount of fabric that the tailor can use and charge the customer for. So it keeps everybody honest. And then there's little descriptions below the the diagram. And the little descriptions are written in, um, you know, old Spanish. The Spanish yeah. that was used at the time. Well, this this gentleman who teaches the class, he can read the old Spanish, and he was a tailor and a costume maker. So <laughs> he was has been able to bring this system of um, cl- clothing making into the modern world. So he's teaching us years later yeah. how to draft patterns using the system from 17th century Spain. That's amazing. <clears throat> that's exactly the kind of thing that I find really exciting that, that you can take something that's that, that ancient, but you know, when you look at it, you can look at it and say, wow, that was so clever to come up with this at that time. I mean, even just looking at the fabrics to start with and what they were producing in terms of fabrics and silks and, you know, the, the, the patterns in them was incredibly clever. And then, you know, laying out a pattern, I know how, um, you know, you've got to be really onto what you're doing to make the most out of the fabric. You don't want waste when you've got that kind of fabric, do you? I didn't realize they regulated it. It must have been worth a fortune. Well, of course, so the, lucky now. The client got the scraps too. They got it, you know, they, oh, if they bought wow. three yards, they got their garment and they got their, their scraps back. What would they have used the scraps for? I don't know. But they, they got them. Yeah. I bet there was some use made of those. 
Oh, I'm certain you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm certain you're Even correct. Even if it was just like learning to sew and mm. anyway, it often amazes so, me when you think back to, to you know, past generations like this and, and how everything they wore had to have been made by hand. It really is quite astonishing. We take so much for granted now. Well, you but know, everything my, they had um, was made by hand. My explorations over this year have led me down the hand sewing road and mm. I have hand sewn a complete 18th century English gown by every <laughs> stitch is by hand. And I just finished a miniature because I was taking a class to learn some other techniques. And that's how we did it was through yeah. sewing a miniature. And I can, you know, I can say that when I was starting, I was really intimidated Mm. By thinking about, I'm going to sew all of this by hand. But now I realize it's actually not that much slower than by machine. And you never have to worry about the machine going nuts on you and doing something Mm. weird and, you know, untangling knots out of the bobbin case and all this. So, yeah. And then the other thing, and it's, I have the same feeling with knitting, is that you can take a needle and a thread and nothing more than a, that and maybe a pair of scissors and a thimble. And you can make this gigantical yeah. gown. Yeah. It's it is quite amazing. Tools, you start with something that is unusable in, as, a, as an item and turn it into something that you can get years of use out of. And, and such wear. large, I mean, significant things. Like yeah. I feel the same way about knitting, that you can take two sticks and – yarn and yep. produce big sweaters and blankets and shawls and, <laughs> yep. and the, you know, there's such humble tools and the tools themselves are so small to carry, to carry around. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. These are my, we're really, we're really lucky that, that we have this um, hobby. I mean, I, there are other things you can do like, you know, um, metal work and glass blowing and those things that are also traditional, but require a huge amount of equipment as well. Um, so, you know, we, we really are, I think, in the right thing. <laughs> yes. Have our two sticks <laughs> and make something. Uh-huh. So those are some thoughts. Those are our thoughts about... Um, Experimentation and discovery, putting limits on yourself, uh, or on the other hand, giving yourself some space in your life to create, even if it's, you know, uh, at a set quantity, different ideas for you to experiment on your own. And, you know, if all else fails, make samples. It's kind of my (laughs) default. If I do get into that stuck thing, like, I, I know I want to do something, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Make some samples. Get a little bit of this and a little bit of that and put them together and sample some, something. And then you end up with a, you know, a notebook treasure for someone 100 years from now. So Making true. Making for the future. So true. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right. It's been our pleasure to spend this little bit of time with you. We hope you're doing well. We hope that you're... Um, healthy and happy and um, that you're looking forward to uh, the new year coming up. It certainly will be by the time we back again in a month's time, it will be a new year. So we wish everybody uh, a wonderful holiday season and um, look forward to chatting again in a month's time. 